0: Hi, everyone. This is Howard Jacobson, and I'm delighted to be joined on the phone today by Drina Burton. Hello, Drina.
1: Hi, Howard. Thanks for having me on today.
0: A great pleasure. Uh, so, Drina is the author of three cookbooks at my last count. Is that right?
1: Four now. Four.
0: Okay. I'm I please
1: behi- went out when you weren't looking. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm behind the times. So, uh, the the one I have, and it's actually... Um, one of the dirtiest cookbooks in my house—you you wouldn't believe how many gobs of of like batter and food and 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 sauces have stuck to this thing—is uh, "Eat, Drink, and Be Vegan," uh, subtitled "Everyday Vegan Recipes Worth Celebrating." So um, you have been uh, bringing great food to my family for for several years now. So it's really a pleasure to uh, to have you on.
1: Well, that's wonderful to hear. Thanks, and for any. Cookbook author, that is the best compliment. <laughs> uh, we don't want our cookbooks to look clean and be sitting on shelves. We want them all dirtied up. So uh, what are some of the, the, the ones that are the messiest in there? What are your favorites?
0: Well, actually, um, this, this cookbook was really for us a, uh, an important sort of transition cookbook. So, so, so the, some of the things that are in there are the desserts and the breakfasts. Uh Which was kind uh of the hardest things for us to get away from, especially sort of dairy. Right. Um, So the the raspberry chocolate chip scones. Oh, nice. um, Good. Are actually things you know we we don't we 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 don't cook that much anymore, but they 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 played a huge role in our transition. That's. Uh,
1: I know what you're saying. I mean, um, when you think about traditional ways we eat, or you know, in our society, that desserts are. Almost always dairy-filled, and then breakfast can be quite reliant on dairy and processed meats and things too. So, uh, and everyone kind of evolves um, with what they make and eat. So, even some of the recipes that I loved and created for my early cookbooks, I don't always use them now because I've sort of moved into different styles and, and habits of eating. So. I know what you're referring to with
0: that. Right. And I don't, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, this is a sort of a logical progression. Um, but, you know, for, for people who are new to a plant-based way of eating, um, you can't necessarily go straight into, like, raw sprouted quinoa salad. <laughs> no. <laughs> here's, here's the other one that's the uh, the page so messy that I, th- I think I need to, like, you know, Download the recipe from the internet so I can read it again is the chocolate pumpkin pie.
1: Oh, that, and that one is on my blog so you can get it there anytime.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And what I loved about this is that this was one of the first, um, in, uh, plant-based desserts that I found that didn't have soy that wasn't reliant on processed tofu. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I've, I've of- converted quite a few people to sort of amazed belief. Cause you know what? A dessert is like a magic trick. Like, any anyone can make a good plant-based salad, but you can know, make a good plant-based dessert. It's just, um, it gets people's attention in a different way.
1: Oh, I hear you. I am so irritated and disappointed when I go to a restaurant and they serve me fruit for dessert. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a cop-out to me. I mean, I love fruit, but I eat it as snacks. I don't want it as dessert.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Uh, impress me a little bit. Right. Yeah, and that one's actually quite easy, too. It, it, you think pies can be difficult, but that recipe is pretty quick to put together. It's not hard for anybody that is maybe intimidated by baking or any kind of cooking journey, really. That one is pretty easy because it's it's a matter of melting some chocolate and then whirring everything in a food processor and popping in the oven. It's pretty, pretty quick.
0: Right. Once I understood the principle of double boiling... <laughs>
1: Right.
0: <laughs> right. Melting, melting chocolate directly over the flame was ugly. But Oh, you, yeah. Put a little water under there, heat yeah. it up. It's,
1: yeah. Suddenly a completely different chocolate experience, I understand.
0: Right. And then, and then, and then of course cleanup becomes a matter of, you know, fingers and tongues.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's when the kids run into the kitchen and all of a sudden want to help.
0: Yes. So um, we, we've already jumped jumped in ahead of ourselves a little bit into, the, into the cookbook <laughs> and the recipe. T- tell us a little bit about yourself, about uh, you know what wh- what you do, just uh, just so folks have a, uh, a context sure. for the rest of the conversation.
1: Sure. Well, um, you know, I'm at home with my three girls. Like a lot of moms are at home with their kids. Um, I've been vegan about 20 years now, and I was vegetarian for. Not too long before because I was really learning and reading as I was going into eating vegetarian and I quickly knew that uh, I did not want to keep eating dairy. I just kind of needed to experiment a little bit. I had to see for myself because like most people, I didn't believe that we could possibly live without dairy, uh, that we would you know, fall apart limb by limb. And so I just experimented to see how I would feel and I felt so amazing off of dairy. It was one thing to remove meat from my diet, and then a whole other level to remove dairy from my diet. It was just uh, incredible how different my body felt lighter, better, no aches. And I was having uh, issues with my joints. I think it may have been an early form of arthritis. I'm not sure. But I was only in my 20s. I was in university, and I was experiencing a lot of pain in my joints. And when I removed dairy, I just felt so much better. And our immune systems, my husband and I were. Uh, we were together at the time, and we were engaged, and we were just kind of experimenting with the diet together and, and exploring where it took us. And we both noticed that with our immune systems, that we felt so much better and could resist more colds. And if we got them, we got over them quickly. We didn't have them for two weeks. So, mm. yeah, yeah, it was quite a fascinating time to... I've been vegan so long now that I almost forget that that was such a an overwhelming part of my journey to feel that difference. And then along the way, I learned so much about factory farming and the environment, and I realized, wow, this is a win-win-win situation. Everything kind of comes together when you eat this way. And um, so, yeah, like I said, it's been quite a long time. And then when we had children, we just obviously needed to make sure we were doing the right thing with them, and being pregnant, and then having babies, and nursing, and all of those things, so it's been a bit of a, um, sort of an exploratory journey along the way, but now everything is just, you know, it's life. It's funny, because when you first become vegan, I think you you feel it's a big process, and that it consumes so much of your life to figure it out, and when you've been doing it for a while, it just is, it's just life, It just is part of life, and it's, it's great, and Sure, some restaurants still may not accommodate you, but it doesn't feel complex anymore. And so, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I mean, I, I love cooking, and so I love to share my, my ideas and my inspiration through food and, and hope that it helps so many other families feed their children well because that that's, can be a hard part for a lot of people trying to figure out how to make it fit into everyday life with families. So um but we can do it
0: hmm. so i'm cur- I'm curious about a little bit more about your your transition to mm-hmm. a, to a plant-based diet so it's, it sounds like you were motivated, you were already a vegetarian and then you were curious about some ailments that weren't responding to just cutting out uh, animal flesh
1: yeah well I started when it's a bit of a strange story, but when I was in my teens, my sister read this article from It was just a newspaper article that talked about how red meat sits in your intestines. It doesn't really digest fully, and and it essentially rots. And I don't know the science behind it, but when I read it, I thought that was horrifying. And, of course, I was a teenager and wanted to rebel anyways. (laughs) So I thought, I'm just not eating red meat anymore. But as I approached my 20s, I was always somewhat interested in health in those years, And I was not raised on a healthy diet. I certainly did not eat even a healthy standard diet. I didn't eat a healthy diet at all. And I loved junk food. Uh, I ate way too much of it, and I ate way too much of my mom's home cooking too. So overall, I just really ate a lot of the rich, heavy, fatty foods, junk foods, and things like that. So I, I needed to really retrain my eating and my palate. Anyhow, as an individual, and I noticed as I came close to my 20s that that was the time that I was really interested in learning about health and the connection of food and what we put in our bodies and how it makes us feel, and I read Diet for a New America, and that really was the first book that opened my eyes to make changes in many ways, and later on I read some of Eric Marcus's work, which is very much related to animal ethics and factory farming and those components of eating vegan and um, along my journey the more I read the more supported eating just a complete plant-based diet um, and so that that's really where it came from it took some time to really believe the notion about not eating dairy and yet it felt right when I when I didn't so after a few months of having it out of my diet and I felt like the the information I read supported it. I just continued.
0: Mm, that, that was my experience as well because I was a, you know, vegetarian for many years, which only meant what I wasn't going to eat. Um, mm-hmm. But it still involved, you know, lots of dairy. And my experience when I stopped having dairy, and I believe that was also from from Diet from uh, for a New America, which yeah. which I somehow stumbled upon at a bookstore roughly three weeks after my dad died. Hmm. um which which felt uh, meaningful yes yeah. um but within within 3 weeks i felt like uh, utterly a new person first of all, i had to throw out all my pants cuz they were way too big <laughs> um and then i just you know i started like looking better my allergies went away almost immediately um you know there was, was that uh, you know the liquid meat that was really doing okay. me in yeah um,
1: and we can be more reliant on dairy, I find, than meat. I, I sort of feel like as, as a society, when we eat meat, we, many of us, not all of us, but many of us sort of realize we've eaten chicken or we've eaten steak. But when we eat dairy, it's it's so, it's so hidden in many of our foods and worked into many of, what, of the dishes that we eat at restaurants or home or takeout. I don't even think we realize how much dairy we're eating. It's really in so much of what we eat, and it's so addictive. I found it was very addictive. I, I really loved ice creams and yogurts and cheeses. And and interestingly, the very last thing that I had to remove, and, and I found it a struggle to get out, was I had been eating a rice parmesan, and I didn't realize initially that it had casein in it. And huh. it was through the work, um, through Dr. Campbell's work and reading the China study, I realized how incredibly addictive casein is and that product i had such a hard time removing it and once i did i was okay once i got it out completely it was gone then it it was a sticking point for me more than even getting out you know cheddar cheese or uh, mozzarella or some of the other things it was kind of like the very you know final frontier for me (laughs) i was very reliant on it so it's interesting how addictive dairy can be
0: yeah, it's 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 funny how, you know, especially I'm imagining this is a product you found at like the health food store yes. and it mm-hmm. was it was touted as a cheese alternative and yet yes. it still had this, you know, this milk-based product in it. It's it's like, you know, when I go to Whole Foods, some part of my brain says, "Oh, everything here is fine." Yeah. You know, like it's like I want to I want to give up my own responsibility. Mm-hmm. Or, or even at the uh, the conference where we met, the you know the yeah. Vita Vegan Con, there yeah. was certainly a lot of stuff there that I don't consider like part of my healthy diet, and yet just being in you know in a social setting, whatever it is, whether you're around your family who are carnivores and milk drinkers, or whether you're around people who you know consider themselves health food nuts or people who consider themselves vegans, there's you know it's so easy for us to kind of like let go. Of what we yeah. know works for us.
1: That oh, that's that's so true. <laughs> that's so true. My mom visits every couple of years. She, she comes to visit, and when she stays with us, she goes back home feeling so much better because she lives across the country. And she always says to me, oh, I'm going to keep eating this way. But I know she won't because when she goes back, she's with her friends, and, and she's older, and she just finds it challenging, I guess, to, to keep that change going herself. But it just goes to show the power of that social influence and how strong we need to be to respect not just eating a plant-based diet, but also the foods that really make us feel energized and, and feel good because that can really vary individually within, within the plant-based diet.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, and I'm, I'm really interested in that point because, you know, at the, the, the China study community and Dr. Campbell, we talk, we don't talk vegan. We don't use the V words, right? right? We right. talk whole foods, plant-based. Yeah. Um, and there, are you know, I, there's often discussions on like, how do you do it? How do you maintain it? What's easy? What's hard? And the folks who seem to maintain without, without a lot of trouble tend to be people who have a, an identity around it. They'll say, I'm a vegan and they'll go mm-hmm. to vegan conferences and they're ethical vegans. The same way when I was growing up in a Jewish community, the people who kept kosher didn't really, you know, and saw themselves as, you know, Strictly religious Jews didn't have a problem. That wasn't like, oh, should I have a cheeseburger today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But so I'm, I'm curious about the folks for whom it, you know, ethical veganism is not an imperative, who are simply looking to eat the healthiest way that that science and their own bodies can validate for them. Um, you know, thinking about your mom, mm-hmm. like how, how, what do you recommend for people? Who who want to kind of you know eat this way, but don't feel the calling to make it part of their identity? They just want to be like a mm. common sense, healthy way to eat. What what supports do you find um, help people in maintaining that?
1: That's such a oh, this is such a good topic and such a good point. It's you know because I am identified in in more than just plant based. I mean I I learned so much about the reasons to be vegan on other levels in factory farming and what we're doing to our environment and how it all just kind of connects so beautifully. Like there's such synergy to making it more than just about health. But health is obviously very important and a huge motivator for people. I mean, I think that's why I obviously came to the diet, and I think a lot of people come to it in their, say, late 30s or 40s, 50s, because their health is compromised at that point. You can kind of do a lot to your body in in your 18 or your teen years and, and in your 20s and not really notice how badly beaten yeah. <laughs> it, it, is, it is becoming on the inside. But you do notice things later in your 30s, mid to 30s and on how you really need to make changes. And I think that um, certainly understanding more about the overall issue that it's not just about health but how much it impacts other aspects of our entire living and that there's, it, it raises your consciousness about your choices on, on a different level when you start not just eating healthy and plant-based but you choose more organic foods, for instance, because they're also healthy but also they're more sustainable. And then you realize that there's a larger system beyond your own health it's, it's a very complex issue. I think for people that aren't attached to being vegan per se, that they really look for groups in their area that are focused on maybe just try to broaden their perspective a little bit because most groups in their in local areas are vegan groups. They're not going to be called plant-based groups. But many of them are very focused on a healthy the healthy aspect of eating vegan. And mm. if they can connect with some people locally and go to potlucks or do some meetups and do some events, you know, you visit different restaurants, it can really provide a support system that they may not have in their own community. And then online, of course, the the resources online right now are phenomenal, how much people can reach out and make connections. And I know friendships have grown. I've I've become really good friends with people that I've met online through my cooking, and I had no idea that was going to happen. And then you come to meet these people at conferences. And there are many festivals and conferences that are called vegetarian or vegan. However, they're very health focused, like Vegetarian Summerfest. I was at that one last June. And that is a very health oriented conference. So, uh, you know, maybe be open to that, to the term a little bit, because it can really help you feel connected to more people. And just to a whole lot
0: more about the diet, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So, so I have to say, when I when I got your book, and I don't remember how many years ago, but it was it was several years ago, um, it was one of the first cookbooks that I did not feel was kind of a crapshoot. <laughs> <Where, where,
1: laughs> oh, that's so funny. Thank you.
0: <laughs> where it's like you know you'd actually like tested these recipes, and and maybe you, there was you know, several dozen that didn't make it in because they didn't work or didn't work all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wasn't, I wasn't used to, um, you know, I don't want to name names, but there's certain sort of early vegetarian cookbooks from the, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, It just felt like, you know, you'd find your one or two favorite dishes in there. um, And the rest was like, you know, just cross your fingers. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. And, you know, ultimately it's what helps somebody change the way they eat is being able to, to visualize food and being able to make it and make choices. H- how did you get into cookbook making?
1: Well, I had a bit of a similar experience, actually. When I became vegan and, and started eating, uh, you know, a new way for me, I relied on the books, some of the books that were uh, on the market at the time, and there weren't many. And I didn't always like the ingredients, and my, and my own food world hadn't expanded a lot at that point the choices of vegetables that I liked were pretty limited and some of the ingredients I used were limited because I lived in a small town and this was 20 years ago there was not much access to alternative products alternative milks you know there was no oat milk or almond milk for instance there was soy milk and that was it and so the recipes that I tried they just weren't for me they weren't suiting my taste my palate what i liked i tried desserts and they often had tahini in them and i didn't understand why the dessert was tasting so bitter and you know i rarely use tahini desserts it can be used but you have to be pretty skilled at making those ingredients come together nicely so that you're not tasting the bitterness of sesame seeds so there was a whole lot of things that i couldn't understand why you know it just wasn't working and i and i wanted to to find food that to me, was more appetizing, so I started creating my own recipes, and it was very hodgepodge at first, um, but then my husband's father had a heart attack, and his parents, um, they were 60, and in the hospital, his cardiologist said to him, because he spoke with his cardiologist and said, you know, I don't want to be back here in 10 years, what else can I do, and his cardiologist recommended the Dean Ornish program for reversing heart disease, mm mm-hmm. And so at that point they said, we're going to change our diet. We're going to eat like you two do. And that was pretty shocking to me, but we helped them as much as we can, could at the time. And they did make huge changes. They basically cleaned out their pantry overnight and, and started eating differently. Um, and at that time I realized that I was helping them and I had these, you know, very uh, rudimentary kind of recipes. But I could do more, and so I did. At that point is when I really started to compile the recipes that I'd been coming up with and putting them into, into a book, essentially. I didn't realize at the time that I was creating my first book, but I was. And when we moved, actually, we were living on the east coast of Canada, and we moved out west. And when we did, I had left my position. I was in marketing, and I just said, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to try writing my own cookbook and see what happens. And um, I landed a publishing deal, and... And that was it. That was my first book. So it was kind of a similar situation. I was trying things out and really wanted to come up with my own style. And every cookbook author, really, I find they do have their own style. And so I always encourage people that are trying out recipes, if you pick up a book and you don't really love those recipes, don't give up on the diet because of that experience. Try another style of recipes, another author Open up and try some more, and there's so much to sample online now that it's easy, but often we use certain ingredients that we are really happy with, and we like ourselves, and certain cuisine styles. So I, I often encourage people to to do that, because what I use can be very different from than what another author uses. So if you don't like what I'm doing, then try someone else. You know what I
0: mean? I noticed that, that... Um... Specifically in this um, "Eat, Drink, and Be Vegan" cookbook, that you, you have definite sort of preferences and and things you don't like. Like I look at the at the index here, and there are, you know, maybe a dozen and a half recipes with chickpeas, and there's <laughs> and there's no cauliflower.
1: I have have opened up the cauliflower since Howard. <laughs> Although I did declare at one point that you would never see cauliflower in my books, but that's what I was referring to when I started out. There were certain vegetables I just never ate and I didn't like. Then I found new ways of using them, and I realized, wow, I like them this way. So in my newest cookbook, Let Them Eat Vegan, for instance, I have a roasted cauliflower recipe, and it's one of my favorites, and my kids love it. If I make that, I can use two heads of cauliflower, and they will eat all of it. They just love it. So, And I do love chickpeas. <laughs> uh-huh. That hasn't changed, uh, and there are certain beans I don't love as much. Like black-eyed peas are not my favorite, so I don't use them a lot. I've, I've used them a few times, but I will go to the ingredients I like more. And then some others will use a lot more spice than I do, or more you can go into Asian cuisine. And so, you know, if that's something that you love, you can go for it. Oh, another thing, I don't use a lot of seaweed. It it makes me nauseous, so uh-huh. it, it's just one of those funny things.
0: Well, you also appear to have a bit of a, a hummus fetish. <laughs>
1: True, no. <laughs> so,
0: I, I, I have to tell you, you know that the the uh, the hummus recipes or hummus, as I as I have to say, having spent a year in the Middle East,
1: um,
0: <laughs> there's like maybe seven or eight of them in this book, and they're they're near the beginning. And mm-hmm. so there are times when I'll be like you know they'll, they'll take maybe like ten ten ingredients each. They'll have the same they'll have the same maybe couple basic ones and then lots of different flavorings. And I can't tell you how many times I've accidentally m- made a a hybrid because the the page flipped. Oh. And I'm like, "Oh, this is this is new and and some of them are really interesting." And, and <laughs> Did I finally it work? got to I finally got to the point where I don't even use the recipe anymore. I'm just like, "I know, you know, I'm kind of like intuitively right. adding stuff like, oh, Kalamata, arvs, olives, sun-dried tomatoes, and roasted peppers sound good here, and let me throw in some, um uh, some balsamic vinegar, see what happens.
1: Right. Oh, that's great. Well, cause once you know some of the proportions, of this, cause usually with how much you need some acid, you need some salt, a little bit of acid, and, and then you add, you know, different flavor combinations. So once you get an idea of how many, you know, how much beans you're using to say, then add a little bit of acid, whether it's lemon juice or lime juice or apple cider vinegar or something like that. And hummus purists will be um, covering their ears right now <laughs>
0: uh-huh. <laughs>
1: listening to me because, uh, you know, some people only want hummus that one way. I like to call lots of bean dip hummus, I, you know, whatever I put in there.
0: Right. And
1: so I, I really, um, I, I exaggerate the definition quite a lot. So but yeah, that, that's a great thing. Once you get that knack of knowing proportions, then you can really customize things, and that's a that's a beautiful thing about recipes. It doesn't work so well for baking, but for savory recipes and and entrees and salads and dips and things like that, that's the, use a recipe as a template and then customize it to the things you love. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I actually have had um hummus parties just just using oh. like five pages from your book because because <laughs> honestly, I don't feel like I need to wash out the food processor <laughs> between batches.
1: Perfect. <laughs>
0: so so like I just you know I'll just I'll spend 10 minutes 10 minutes doing mise en place and just getting everything ready and then I'll just like dump it out into a bowl and the next one and then we'll have pita or chips or crudite.
1: Yeah.
0: Um and it makes a really easy party.
1: Oh, I love that. And, you know, I call it yummus now, so it, it I've totally <laughs> ruined the word for people. Um, but uh, I love using it, too, in different ways because, you know, people think of hummus and in a bowl with some breads or crudités or, uh, you know, some tortilla chips or crackers or whatever. I love using hummus on pizzas as a base for pizzas instead of tomato sauce or in wraps. Or in a pasta bake, if you're doing um, lasagna or you have some stuffed shells for, for, say, a whole wheat noodle and it's a stuffed shell, and you can put hummus inside there. So I love using hummus in all kinds of different ways, too, because it's so flavorful that it can really, you know, translate into making meals with it or or do a, a quinoa bake with a layer of hummus and then some roasted veggies on top. There's so many things you can do with it.
0: Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's a great transition food for people who like to get filled up. Mm -hmm. Um, I find, you know, you throw the hummus, the difference between a salad and a wrap with hummus is, psychologically, is huge. Mm -hmm.
1: That's so true. And I love putting hummus in salads. See, I put hummus everywhere. Um, (laughs) and, And, you know, you make a big bowl of salad, and instead of, you know, putting your dressing on it, If you put a mound of hummus in there and and eat your salad with the hummus, it's wonderful and delicious. Sometimes I'll warm it up a little bit too if I'm using a, doing a kale salad and then if I warm the hummus up just a little bit, it will soften the kale. And, uh, so yeah, there's, there's endless possibilities, aren't there?
0: (laughs) Mm. So, so in a bunch of recipes you met, you write a little note at the top like my kids really like this and stuff and then you, and you mentioned, uh, you know, being a mom and having three kids at home, what what are your strategies for helping your kids navigate the world? Um,
1: oh, you know, I said I, something. I said this to a friend once. I said, "It's not the vegan part of parenting that's hard; it's the parenting part. <laughs> <laughs> it's just parenting, plain and simple." I mean, I I have I used to worry far more about how my kids would deal with other kids eating plant based than actually has come to, you know, fruition. What what happens in their day to day world is is fine. I haven't had to deal with too many problems or issues. The biggest thing is play dates and parties. And so when there are birthday parties, I always contact the, the mom and just ask, you know, what they're serving. Are you having it's always pizza or hot dogs. That's what all people ever have at parties. Uh I served hummus at one of my daughter's parties and the kids cried. So, <laughs> I had tears from children when I was serving hummus. It was really good, too, and I had, you know, lots of fruits and veggies, and I did have tortilla chips. Most kids like those. So I put it away and pulled out the chocolate cake, and, and they were all fine then. But, you know, at parties, it's always pizza or hot dogs. So while we eat a whole foods diet, when it comes to things like that, that's when I'll get the hot dog, the veggie hot dog for them, and I just put it in a whole wheat bun instead of the white buns. And pack off a hot dog for them for the party, and I'm usually testing desserts and such, so I, you know, include a, a piece of cake or a cookie, and if not, I'll pick something up. <laughs> and the same thing for pizza, and, and whenever there's play dates, I'll always check with the parents and say, you know, this is how we eat, and I don't want to make it complicated for you, so if you're having fruit and stuff for the kids, that's great, but I'll pack along a muffin or some other kind of snack for my kids, just to take... I always take the pressure off of them and just include our food along the way. And it's never, ever been an issue. If anything, it just becomes a point of discussion and people are interested, so.
0: Mm. And I guess you're, you're, you don't have the experience that some other folks might have had of transitioning no. during your children's childhoods. So you, you, you kind true. of had a, uh, mm-hmm. a stable culture of plant-based eating mm-hmm. that they just were born into.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think it's easier. I definitely think that it's an easier way to go if you can start from the beginning. Um, and also my husband is vegan. You know, we both eat the same diet, and there's a lot of people who have the mixed marriages, right? One's eating meat and one's eating plant-based, and that's definitely more challenging, and I can't even really give tips to how to, to navigate that because I've never been there. Uh, I have heard from a lot of parents, though, because, you know, my my audience tends to be a lot of uh, parents not all but i do have a lot of parents with young kids and i have heard from parents that are are making the shift it's interesting there's one mom that i met at the pool last summer and we were talking about how because we live very close on the u.s border so we go over to get stuff at trader joe's and <laughs> pick up our groceries because it's far less expensive the so you, you would have no idea <laughs> we pay double for much here and um so we were talking about you know cross-border shopping and, and one day and she was talking about oh and yeah we go to Costco and you can get this the chicken breasts are so cheap there and of course at that point I have no response <laughs> I just can't communicate about the prices of chicken at Costco so the conversation continues and then later I explain that no we eat plant-based, all vegan etc and she started to follow my Facebook page and a couple of months later she emailed me and she said you know you really inspired me with this one um, image you put up one day, and it was one about John Robbins and a quote that he had saying, animals don't give our lives, give their lives to us, no, we take them. We, and and she read that quote. And if there's something that motivates every individual, it could be a health reason, it could be some a video they see, a documentary, whatever, for everyone it's different. And for her it was this one caption, which was fascinating to me, and she started to make changes. And so she emailed me and she said, I need you to know I'm, I don't eat meat or dairy anymore. Like, I'm completely there. And so now she's transitioning her family. So her husband's somewhat on board, not completely, but her children, she's working on them. And she she's been in touch with me a few times and explaining that they're finding milks that they like to use now. And so it can be done. It just takes more time and more patience and retraining of the palate. Because I often say to parents, if you only had, like if your kids only ever had oat milk or almond milk and then they tasted cow milk, they would find that awful because they only know almond or oat milk. It's the same thing. If, they're only tasting, if they've only been drinking cow milk and then they taste almond milk, of course it's going to taste different to them and they may snub it at first. They may like it because often they, you know, kids do like some of the plant-based milks because they're inherently a little bit sweet. Uh, some of them aren't, but many are, like rice milk and almond milk. And so it's it takes time to retrain our palates, and the same goes for kids. But you have to be firm with it too. I mean, you're either doing it or you're not. If you're going to do it and then cave when they want cheese strings, you're gonna have a long, long road. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: You know, you really—it's like anything. It's again, it goes back to parenting. It's like if you're caving on something, they know they know your weakness. So you have to stick. To what you believe in and hold true to it, no matter what it is with parenting. And the same goes for your diet. And you have to do it as, I really think you have to do it as a family. I mean, I know people who do things, uh, you know, try to do something for one person in the family and another. It's just so complicated. I think over the long haul, it, it's going to be tiring and exhausting and difficult to stick with. So mm. I really try to encourage people to make it as a venture and do it together.
0: Mm. Well, in, in my experience, there's usually one person in the family sort of in charge of food. Yes. So I know lots of uh, you know families where there's lots of different eating styles, but whoever's doing the cooking, you know, wins. Is boss. <laughs> yeah. So you know, the only the only <laughs> exception there is if uh, you know if someone else has a more restrictive, you know, then they have to fend for themselves. So you know, no soy or no wheat or or right. something like that. You know, but if if, if you're the one with the restrictions. <laughs> Um, you know, with with a um, what you consider to be a higher standard of what you put in your body, then you know, learn to cook.
1: Well, that's so true. I mean, that's what happened with my husband and I. He never really cooked, so I took it and ran with it. <laughs> he just joined. <laughs> um, and the food is when the food is good. What does it matter? You know, if, if you're enjoying your food and you've had a satisfying meal with such beautiful colors and textures and flavors then why would you pass that up
0: so right you know, and yeah and, for, yeah and for me you know that that really is the way into the mainstream so i don't yes. you know i i personally don't talk about vegan yeah um i you know i want people to be healthy i want the planet to be healthy and so my you know my motivation here um is to get people to experience something f- that they can't argue with. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to argue ethics. It's very easy to yeah. argue uh science even. Yeah. You know the even health. even though you know I helped Dr. Campbell write his new book whole and we we kind of tried to debunk the science but it's it's complicated stuff. Absolutely. And, and it's very hard for some but, but if you taste something that is delicious and you feel better after you eat it. There, there's a purchase there that is very hard to argue with. So that's really, you know, w- one of the reasons that I'd love to, to, um, to, you know, to be a cookbook author fanboy. Um, cause I think, you know, you're, you're doing more for, for helping people than, you know, you and chefs and, and people who can teach people how to transition and just have the experience. Um, cause I think, you know, a personal experience of feeling better. Yeah. Um, you know, I know a, lot, a lot of people in the vegan community kind of have this three-pronged way of thinking that you can be vegan for health reasons, for environmental mm-hmm. reasons, and for animal rights. Mm-hmm. I, I like to try to collapse those into, I'm an animal, I want to treat myself well, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. also part of the environment, yeah. you know, whatever I put in my body, whatever crap I put in my body is going to come out somewhere, you know, literally, mm-hmm. um, and... And so I'm looking, you know, again, I'm looking for a very holistic way of approaching the topic. And for me, you know, eating something and enjoying it in that moment and enjoying it later is is the ultimate leverage. Yes.
1: So, oh, that's so key because I remember the days when I loved dairy. I loved it. And I loved the rich sauces and the creamy sauces. And I would go to a restaurant and ask for extra sauce. If I had pasta, I would ask for extra sauce because it was never enough or extra cheese on my pizza or whatever because it was never enough. And I loved it in the moment, but an hour later, I felt awful. So what you're saying is so so true that it you want to also feel good after and be able to enjoy your life and do things that day and not feel bogged down or lowgy or have you know, intestinal cramps or, you know, just feel soggy-minded for whatever reason because all of this food takes so long to digest and, and is really um, making you feel so compromised.
0: Yeah, well, you know, if you yeah. had, if you had I a are, friend yeah. who said, well, I really love beer. I love drinking beer. I love the taste of it. I love the feel when it goes down. And and then you know, I'm an alcoholic and I can't really function. Mm-hmm. And I'm not getting anything done. And I'm abusive mm-hmm. and I have no friends. But I really love beer. Like you wouldn't mm-hmm. think that was like a a, a great you know decision. Yeah. And yet, if we we do sort of the you know not not necessarily so stark, but if we're eating things that we like in that moment and it's an addiction and we're compromised. In our in our functioning, in our clarity, in our in our joy, in our longevity, in in our capabilities, you know, beautifully,
1: yeah, beautifully said. It's you, you've wrapped it up there, totally beautifully said. Because it reinforces then our choices too. If we enjoy the food and then we feel good after, we want to do that again.
0: Right, Right. because I, I, you know, I I used to like argue with people a lot, Mm -hmm. um, and I find that (laughs) I have no interest in that. You know, my Mm -hmm. my, I now want to present an invitation. Try this and see what it does for you. Yeah. Um, So before before we wrap up, you so you you have a blog, you have books. Um, Mm. So, how can people find you, and what 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 have you got for them?
1: Sure, sure. I have okay. So my blog and my site is plantpoweredkitchen.com, and my recipes are whole foods, um, and I'm I'm using more and more whole foods as I go along. It's definitely been a uh, every cookbook author or chef I think evolves in their food, and for sure that's been my experience um, as I came into eating vegan and, and cooking vegan. Okay, so now I just, have,
0: just uh, is plant or plants powered?
1: Oh, sorry, plant, plant singular, plantpoweredkitchen.com. Great. And I have four cookbooks that I've written in the past, I guess, what, 15 years. So my books are The Everyday Vegan, Viva Vegan, Eat, Drink, and Be Vegan, and let, did I say let them eat vegan? I don't think so. See, I've confused myself. <laughs> There's four, and I've just released an ebook, and it's the Plant Powered 15, and it's just a, it's a great little collection of 15 recipes that are all whole foods based, and every recipe has a photo, so it's, it's you know that makes it especially beautiful. I have a lovely gal that I worked with on that, and um, all that information is on my blog, and then I'm also on Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and all of those things. So I love to share information on Facebook, especially not just about my recipes, but information about the lifestyle in general and uh, you know infographics and and things that get people's interest and you know where where they can get their omega 3s or what seeds you know the nutrition of different seeds or greens and all those things so i love posting things like that on facebook too
0: mm-hmm. well great and i'm i'm uh, i'm loving the hearing that you know that you're continuing to to evolve and transition Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and again, it's a, it's a, you know, everyone will have their own personal evolution. Um, but you know, as your, your, your flavors change, you're going more, sounds like more, more whole foods. So there's, there's really something in your line for everyone. Um,
1: I, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I try to provide a wide range of recipes, different cuisines and different flavor elements to try and, and offer something for everyone in in my recipes and my cookbooks. And yeah, this, this way of eating, it's its not like you just start eating this way and that's it. You're always on a journey with it. And there's new ingredients that kind of come onto the market. Like a few years ago, chia wasn't an available ingredient, you know, very available, say, five to ten years ago. And now it's very widely available and used a lot in recipes. So it's always a journey and it's interesting. And just like, like to encourage people to remember that, that there's always things you can learn and, and enjoy even more as you continue with the diet.
0: Cool. So plantpoweredkitchen.com, Um yes. a bunch of cookbooks, an ebook, <laughs> a, a short and sweet with, with pictures ebook. Um I will say just, um, as I'm, as I'm leafing through the, your, the eat, drink, and be vegan one more time, that this is, this is actually my go-to cookbook when, for potlucks. Hmm. When, when I know I'm going to be serving things to to omnivores, uh, oh, what so ones do you
1: like to serve?
0: Well, the the coco the cocoa coconut chili mm-hmm. is remarkable, and I do a lot of the uh, the pureed spicy sweet potato and peanut stew with chickpeas.
1: Oh, I love that one too. I like to ask people that because when I do a potluck, I blank. <laughs> uh
0: huh.
1: I do. I think what what recipe will I take? Because. It's it's different when you're creating the recipes and you're not sure which ones are you know going to be the standouts or whatnot. So I always like to ask people because it's kind of fun to hear from from others what ones they love.
0: Well, the other thing, a lot a lot of the sort of more savory, hearty stew types of things, I tend to have all the ingredients in the house because I'll yeah. I'll have lentils. Yeah. sweet potatoes will last for months. Yes. So uh, in fact, the the um one of my go-to I live in a a co-housing community, and we, uh, you know, 22 households, and we get together once a week, and different people cook for the community, and one of my go-tos for that is the sweet potato lentil chili. Okay.
1: Which,
0: which, which for, for, because it's it's quick, it's easy, and it scales really well.
1: Yeah. That's, that's been a popular one. People really like that one. I think it's because it's such a twist on chili with the lentils in there, and this, I love sweet potatoes. That's an ingredient you find quite a lot in my books. I just, Aren't they just one of the best
0: foods? <laughs> yeah, and they're, you know, we, 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 uh, I went to the farmer's market and I made a, you know, back alley deal with one of the farmers. I bought a hundred pounds of his sweet potatoes. Oh and my gosh. He was so, ha- he was so happy to, uh, you know, to be able to sell them in bulk. I got them for a buck a pound.
1: Oh my so, gosh. So That's came, hilarious. I
0: came home with a uh, hundred pounds of sweet potatoes in a bad pack. <laughs> you you know, love
1: them more than I do. Well, we we
0: we've, we've been using, We've been using them uh for months now mm-hmm. um, you know the uh the sweet potato fries thing in the, you know baked in the oven yes. is just, just the easiest thing in the world and uh it's, it's nice to know we all, we always have lentils we always have sweet potatoes. Yes. The recipe calls for some cans which uh you know um if i if I had a perfect world, I would always like soak my own beans Me too. and and it's um, I'm so glad that there's you know good canned beans and good canned bean recipes um, for a moment's notice. Um,
1: yeah, and people some people who are a little bit uncertain about canned beans I I like to mention that you can buy the beans that are in BPA free cans and some of your listeners probably know that but if not just to be on on the lookout Eden is one um, and I'm pretty sure that Trader Joe's there's They have something on one of their websites that their canned beans are also BPA-free. So, uh, you know, I would love to cook all my beans from dried, too, but with three kids, I just don't get around to it like I would want to. So we need to be convenient sometimes, for sure.
0: Well, I was talking about this. I I was a real purist at one point about, you know, not canned, and I was talking with my friend Peter Bregman, who's a... um, a change expert works with with organizations and he, he took an, a counterpoint of view. He said, canned beans are superior to fresh beans. I'm like, what? Are you crazy? He says, I'll tell you why. Because I use canned beans. <laughs> <laughs> like, good uh, point. Good
1: point. <laughs> yeah, I think we all need to have those. You know, there's processed foods and then there's processed foods, right? There's, a, there's sort of a continuum or a, 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 quite a spectrum of what's processed. And for me, canned beans are one of the processed foods that are okay and they're not really heavily processed but they can really help you eat quite healthy so uh just yeah be on the lookout for the bpa free cans and have a keep a good variety on hand too as much as i love chickpeas i've always got canned kidney beans and black beans and white beans cannellini beans i love those uh it helps kind of keep things fresh and mix them up right
0: Yep. Yep, Have I, I have the little um like lazy susan in the closet so I can just whirl mm-hmm. it and pull out whatever.
1: Mhm.
0: Yep. Yeah. And it, you know, and just to to close with this idea that you know the word okay is really important when we're when we're exploring and transitioning cuz yeah. there's it's so easy. It was so easy for me to become like superior on so many levels. You know, sort of ethically superior to other people yeah, and then health-wise yeah. superior and knowledge-wise superior. And oh, I would never do that. And there's, there's, you know, I was struck when you were talking at, you know, at the beginning of, of our, of our conversation about, you know, you're eating way too much of your mother's home cooking. And I was kind of thinking, I kind of wanted to, I didn't want to like, you know, derail you no. at that point, but I'm kind of <laughs> thinking like there's, there's a nutrient in mom's home cooking that no matter what it is.
1: True enough.
0: Like, yep. you know, love and nurturance. Yes. It's like you know, if we're if we're getting that, we're getting something important, and so There's, I, I, I kind of mm-hmm. want to you know just throw out there that, that you know let's let's be easy on ourselves and on, and on other other people because we're living in a world in which doing the right thing is not always easy or natural.
1: Yeah. No, you're so you're. So- correct about that. I mean, mom's home cooking did have a lot of animal meat in it, animal flesh and and fats and things. So when I say that, that's why uh, lots of gravies and things like that, which wasn't healthy. But you're right. Having a home-cooked meal, there's there's nothing quite like that growing up that creates memories and uh, that's something that... Can, you can't really put a price on that. It has a certain value all of its own. But what you, the, what, the point about perfection is very important because people can really get dissuaded by that issue of having, and I think that's why people who are plant-based don't want to become associated with the word vegan, and it's unfortunate because they can really connect with a lot of people in the community if they, they do, but they're afraid of not doing everything completely Right. And making mistakes and, and not being vegan enough or not being plant-based enough, right? Mm-hmm. And it's important to remember that, you know, it's all, like I said, it's all a journey and we're doing the best. And if you have a slip-up, big deal, you know, just keep keep growing and keep moving with it um, because none of us are doing it perfectly. And if we try to have that standard, we will never, ever, you know, we'll always fall short of that expectation and that standard, so...
0: Right. Uh, It's it's also good to remember that, you know, our bodies are resilient, our environment is resilient, and if we have health problems and if we have environmental problems, it's because of an onslaught. It's not because of a Mm. momentary oops.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's what we're doing all the time, not because of a a mistake. I say that to my kids, too, because, you know, our, our kids are all, they love what we eat, and they're very attached to our way of eating. There's no... We don't have difficulties with them. Our middle girl is very particularly sensitive, and she's sensitive about animals, and she's also sensitive about accidentally eating things. And I've said to her many times, there's been times at school where she has had things that people say, oh, it's okay, there's no dairy or there's no whatever in that. And she came home one day, and she'd been eating some breads that were at this party at school. And I'm pretty sure there was cheese in it, as you know how people work cheese into bread, and you don't always see it, but it's in there she felt quite sick after school and I said to her you know it's okay it's it's just a one-time thing I'm not mad about it and I don't want you to give yourself a hard time about it it's okay she just didn't feel very good because her body wasn't used to it and so her body was kind of you know rebelling against what it was trying to process it's not used to it um but I say that to my kids all the time like if you accidentally have something it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's gonna happen. It, there's it we do too still sometimes. We've been out and accidentally had things because it, it just happens in the world and you just yeah, you just have to move on from it.
0: Yeah, well life life is a pretty uncontrolled experiment. Yeah. So you know, maintaining an attitude of uh curiosity, willingness to learn and and looking for looking for places for joy and connection.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Drina Burton, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. I've really enjoyed uh, your work over the years. It's enriched my life, my family's life, and thousands of people that we will, that you will never meet and who will, ne- will never hear your name, possibly, who have eaten the food that I've cooked from your cookbooks.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. I've enjoyed talking with you, Howard, and uh, I think we could probably talk for a long, long time. <laughs>
0: But yeah, well, uh, I'll invite people to continue the conversation on yeah. your website, plantpoweredkitchen.com. They can find you on Facebook. What's your Facebook page? What would they it's look for? It's
1: just my name. It's Facebook. If they search on um, Facebook for Drina Burton, they will find my page.
0: Okay, and Drina is with D-R-E-E-N-A. Double
1: E-N-A, and I'm on Twitter, the same, Drina Burton.
0: All right. Well, Drina, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure talking with you today.
1: Likewise. Thank you very much.